Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to Chumba ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Tonight in Bay Point, Maine, it's Beef Bourguignon. In Malibu, it's Sirloin Kebabs. You'll find beef fajitas at the Four Fork Ranch. And Kung Pao beef in Chinatown. In New Orleans, it's Creole pepper steak. And beef bachiola in the north end of Boston. There's a great corned beef sandwich at 7th and 55th. And in Chicago, a porterhouse steak, a perfect medium rare. At the end of each day, all over the country, nothing satisfies so many people in so many ways. Beef, it's what's for dinner. If you grew up in the United States through Generation X, you remember that commercial. The iconic voices of Sam Elliott, James Garner, Tom Selleck, and Matthew McConaughey, and of course Robert Mitchum, declaring, Beef, it's what's for dinner. But few of us realize that today, the independent cattle rancher, one of the most endearing and enduring symbols of the American West, is fighting for survival, under attack from foreign producers the monopolistic big beef processing companies, the environmental and green energy movements, and more despicably, our own government. I had the opportunity to chat with Bill Bullard, the CEO of the Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund. He also heads up the United Stock Growers of America, or RCAF USA, the nation's largest cattle trade organization exclusively representing independent cattle producers. From his ranch in Billings, Montana, Bill explained just how urgently the independent cattle ranchers need the American people to stand up for their heritage, how environmentalist attacks on the cattle industry are based on a lie, and how making sure that the independent cattle rancher survives is pinnacle in maintaining a secure food supply chain in the United States. Bill, thanks for agreeing to come on the show. I know that uh, the people that we 
uh, have in our audience are probably unaware of the enormity of the problem that uh, the cattle producers are facing. I was just stunned at it when I heard about this on the Glenn Beck program. Um, give us a little bit of history of the adversarial relationship between beef producers and the beef processing industry. Okay, so the cattle industry is the single largest segment of American agriculture. It generates more in cash receipts than any other commodity and therefore is very important to the rural economy um, and to every state in the union. And so through the 1980s, we went through this era of deregulation and uh, we kind of coined the term merger mania occurred in the beef packing industry during that period. And four large packers emerged as dominant participants in the marketplace. And uh, shortly after that, the United States embarked on this experiment that we called the globalization. They wanted to (laughs) globalize input supply chains. That happened in the early 90s. And so from that time forward, we've had a consolidation of the power inherent in a highly concentrated marketplace and a marketplace where the participants now have unlimited access to lower cost, undifferentiated imports from around the world. And so presently, right now, we have just four major meat packers that control 85% of all of the fed cattle slaughter, meaning uh, the harvesting of cattle that are produced specifically for beef production. So you have four packers controlling 85% of that market. And uh, obviously they possess and and wield tremendous market power. And they have been systematically uh, purging competition from throughout the live cattle supply chain. And that means uh, for all of the nearly three quarters of a million independent cattle farmers and ranchers here in the United States. So what has recently transpired and what has recently come to light is there has always been a synchronous relationship between the value of cattle and the value of beef. And of course, this makes sense because the only ingredient in beef is cattle. (laughs) And so we went through history with this synchronous relationship. In 2015, uh, that followed uh, some widespread drought across the United States. And the United States cattle herd had shrunk to the smallest size in over seven decades in 2014. And after that time, uh, cattle prices started to increase in conjunction with increased consumer demand. And so you had both cattle prices and retail beef prices rising up until about early 2015. Now, the unique characteristic of cattle is they have a tremendously long production cycle. It takes uh, 18 months to two years to bring a a calf uh, to the market that is ready to be harvested. And so um, all the experts looked at the marketplace and said our supplies are tremendously low, uh, demand is strong, and so cattle producers are going to experience good prices for the next three years because that's the biological cycle of cattle in order to Uh, begin to rebuild uh, the liquidated cattle herd. But inexplicably, cattle prices in early 2015 collapsed, and they collapsed further and faster than at any time in history. Didn't settle until the fall of 2016. And while cattle prices were collapsing, 
retail prices for beef that consumers were paying in the grocery store continued to rise uh, markedly. And then um, there was a bit of a consolidation in 2000, late 2016. And in 2017, a complete unprecedented event occurred. From 2017 forward, retail beef prices have been climbing, trending sharply upward, and the prices paid to America's cattle farmers and ranchers was trending, stair-stepping downward. So you had beef prices and cattle prices moving in opposite directions beginning in 2017. And then we've had a couple of events that have been referred to as black swan events in the, in the industry. One of the four big packers that altogether controlled the 85%, one of them temporarily closed its plant in Kansas because of a fire. And that caused a huge market disruption in the entire industry. And it caused the wholesale and retail beef prices to jump uh, significantly and cattle prices again to collapse significantly. And then we hit the um, beginning in March of 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic, and we saw the same anomaly. We saw uh, retail and wholesale beef prices skyrocketing and we saw the prices being paid to producers, the actual American cattle farmers and ranchers, uh, decline to levels they were at a decade ago. Um, and so things have simply gotten worse since then. And through that pandemic, there was talk about, well, uh, the plants had to reduce production and therefore they could not purchase the, the cattle from the American cattle farmer or rancher. When in fact, what was happening is the packers were refusing to buy from the domestic producers and instead were importing uh, tens of thousands of cattle from Canada to Mexico. Many of those cattle, thousands of them, were delivered directly for slaughter. So the meat packers were bypassing the American farmer and rancher and they were displacing the American market with cheaper, undifferentiated imported product. And when I say undifferentiated, I mean, we import from 20 different countries, uh, but consumers don't know that because the meat packers uh, are allowed to import, let's say a steak from Uruguay or Nicaragua or Costa Rica or Canada, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, any one of the 20 some countries we import from, they can bring that imported product into the United States in a US processing plant they can unwrap the package and throw the foreign label in the garbage and then relabel the product as product of the USA. Wow. So consumers are being deceived. Uh, cattle producers are on the verge of going broke, those who haven't. We've already lost over half a million uh, of the United States cattle farmers and ranchers just in the last 40 years. And we've lost 20% of those in the last 20 some years, 25 years. So our industry is, is in a state of steep decline um, and it's about to be changed to something that no one will recognize. Uh, we're, we're on the verge of potentially losing the American cattle farm and ranches we know it today. And it will be because of a takeover by the multinational corporations. And very interestingly, of the four meat packers that control 85% of the market, two of those meat packers are Brazilian owned, uh, JBS and Marfrig. So the Brazilians own half of the um, major share of the marketplace for beef processing here in the United States. 
So there's a rather long history, Frank, but that leads us to where we are today. We have a a marketplace that has been chronically dysfunctional uh, in recent years, primarily because of COVID. It is now being recognized as an acutely dysfunctional market. And what is happening in that marketplace is that producers on one end of the food supply chain and consumers on the other are both being exploited uh, in this marketplace. And so that's where we're at today. The four major processors, and you said two of them are Brazilian owned. Does China have a a stake in a a third? Um, China is now the United States largest pork producer. They own Smithfield Farms. Um, That is a Chinese uh, government um, supported industry here in the United States and then the largest pork producer in the United States. So the Chinese are not, uh, to my knowledge, significantly involved in the cattle industry. They are heavily involved in the the swine industry, the pork industry. Okay. So when we're talking about the 85% of of the the big four control 85% of the processing capability in the United States, what is the other 15%? Are these independent people? Are we talking about the good old fashioned butcher? In fact, we are. Uh, We have both regional packing plants, relatively large packing plants, but not near the size of the big four. And then we still have some small local uh, packing plants uh, across the country. So they're relegated to uh, obtaining their input sources, which would be live cattle, uh, from whatever's left after the big four take their 85% cut. So yes, the 15% is still consisting of uh, small to mid-sized packers. Because one of the things that I that I thump on here in the, on Underground USA is the fact that all politics is local. And right. from from what I can discern uh, with with the industry of, of the independent butcher is that local regulations and county regulations and state regulations have been the major culprit in pushing them out of the marketplace. And, and if they would have been not so draconianly regulated, they might have been able to thrive in this in this atmosphere. Is that, am I on the right track? Yeah, um, but let's start at the marketplace itself where competition is supposed to occur. So this relationship between beef prices and cattle prices that always moved in parallel, that is now completely disconnected. What was holding that relationship together was competitive market forces in the marketplace, competition. Well, when that disconnect occurred, that was the signal that competition has been purged from the entire industry. And so that brings us to, well, how are these uh, small packers going to compete in a marketplace where the four big packers that control 85% of the cattle, they also control approximately 80% of the boxed beef that gets sold to retail grocery stores. Mm. And there are long-term contracts that these large beef packers, the multinationals have with retailers. And so the question will be is how will a small packer compete for shelf space in the grocery store when the system is pretty well locked up. And so, and that and that also um, applies to the regulatory regime that they face because as these huge beef packers took dominance in the marketplace, the regulatory regime was designed to address their particularly large operations. 
not designed to address smaller operations that do not need to be as heavily regulated as the large ones, but yet they are. So the regulatory hurdles have been a tremendous barrier for the success and growth of these smaller independent uh, beef packers. So once again, we're looking at, at, a, at the federal government coming in and inserting itself into something that should be regional or local in nature that is adversely affecting private industry. Absolutely. And, you know, during the uh, March 2020 onset of the COVID pandemic, that was the first time in memory that the U.S. consumers went to their grocery store and could not buy the protein, the beef they needed for their families. The grocery store shelves were empty. That was a wake up call that said we have gone way too far. We have skeletonized the entire cattle and beef supply chain. We've reduced the number of participants in the marketplace. We've dismantled the competitive marketing infrastructure throughout the industry. And we now have a centralized, highly concentrated uh, system that has now been proven to be incapable of meeting shocks like the shock from a COVID pandemic, perhaps a shock from a weather-related incident, or any, uh, what about a shock regarding a foreign animal disease that had been imported in the United States because the USDA had decided to relax our health and safety standards for countries that continue to have pernicious diseases. So uh, yes, we have a system now that is incapable of meeting the food security, the national food security interests of America. And it has to be revamped, it has to be reformed, it must be done quickly, but we're up against some of the most powerful lobbying forces ever to walk the halls of Congress. And that's the huge and very powerful meat packers uh, that have been successful in holding Congress at bay and holding an administrations at bay to prevent them from taking any meaningful steps uh, to restore the competition that they had purged from our industry and that then threatens the livelihood of America's cattle farmers and ranchers and puts the U.S. consumer's food supply at risk. You're listening to Underground USA. I'm your host, Frank Salvato. We're talking with Bill Bullard. He's the CEO of the Ranchers Cattlemen's Action Legal Fund and the United Stock Growers of America's, it's RCAF USA, the nation's largest cattle trade association that exclusively represents independent cattle ranchers. Now, Bill, let's go back to the dichotomy between uh, consumer prices uh, the beef producer and the profits for for the major the the big four packers. Uh, from everything that I've seen, these people are just gorging themselves at the trough. No pun intended. Right. So one measure of that is how much of the consumer's beef dollar that they spend in the grocery store actually making its way back to the American cattle farmer. Mm-hmm. And- And so back in the 80s, for example, 65 cents of every dollar that consumers spent would actually go back to the American rancher. Uh, And then it's been on a steep decline ever since. In 2015, though, uh, that was the year after, or 2014, 2015, that was right after the cattle herd size hit the 70-year low. 
Uh, cattle producers were receiving 55 cents of every dollar that consumers were spending on beef, and cattle prices were were good. Uh, farmers and ranchers were able to make repairs, buy new equipment, uh, do things that they haven't been able to do for decades because they've been facing prolonged depressed prices. So in a year when things were good for uh, producers, consumers weren't paying as much for beef as they're paying today, uh, the, the 55 cents of their dollars went back to the cattle producer. In 2020, uh, that share fell to the lowest level in history. It's about, it was 37 cents for 2020. Uh, and, and the trend is downward. I mean, that is what's happening in our industry is someone else in this uh, beef supply chain is essentially deflecting the profits that should be going to the cattle farmer and rancher and instead they're pocketing in that those profits on their own and so we've seen for example over the past several years uh, those big four meat packers have been earning the largest margins in history uh, from the, the the processing of the animals for which they're paying a depressed price to the cattle producer. So it's the middleman. It's the middleman who's raking in uh, what should be going to the cattle producer. And uh, and you have the consumers, again, paying record re prices for beef and being told, well, the reason is, is we're, we're low, um, supplies are tight. And when supplies are tight, consumers obviously have to pay more for product. And then they turn around and tell the cattle producer, well, the reason that your cattle prices are low is because there's no demand for your cattle. Demand is low for U.S. cattle. Uh, this, this is absolutely contrary to any uh, fundamental economic law of supply and demand. I mean, this is an industry that is fundamentally broken. And uh, again, uh, we have to come up with a solution very quick. I want to touch on one more thing that the government is actually uh, is uh, involved in before we take a, a quick break. Um, the government seems to want to be regulating and restricting the way independent cattle ranchers can graze their herds. How is that affecting the overall situation about getting getting product from the ranch to the table? Well, um, when you have an industry that has suffered uh, prolonged depressed prices, and then you impose additional regulatory requirements upon those producers, you will accelerate the ongoing exodus of the American rancher. Um, we've been losing American ranches at the rate of about 17,000 every year for the past 40 years. And so this additional regulations and requirements imposed, and here's a good example, and that is the government wants to impose a mandatory radio frequency identification ear tag system on every uh, adult animal that crosses state lines in the United States. This is the most expensive way of identifying animals. Of course, the traditional way is the, is the hot iron brand, but the USDA wants to, imp and USDA is the U.S. Department of Agriculture, wants to impose a mandatory ear tagging regime, forcing producers to pay for literally the highest cost technology now available. Um, and this is a good example of the government attempting to control independent businesses, and in this case, the independent uh, American farmer and rancher. 
are the are the ranchers in let's say Canada, Mexico, Brazil, all the other twenty countries that that we import from, are they being held to this standard as well? Well, there are some standards uh, that they have acquiesced to, including the radio frequency identification system. Um, but of course, they're not the uh, the system of government that we have here. And we say, well, it's not America. We don't do that in America. But there are other instances where there are uh, requirements imposed on U.S. cattle producers. And here's a good one. It's called uh, the Veterinary Feed Directive. So in the United States, cattle producers cannot feed antibiotics to their cattle without a veterinary certification. So that's an additional cost, but uh, you know it was put in place because of consumers' concerns for higher levels of antibiotics in, in their meat. Well, that requirement is not imposed on Brazil or Uruguay or Argentina or Nicaragua or Costa Rica. Um, so that is a, a regulatory requirement with a significant, significant cost attached that applies only to the U.S. cattle producer uh, and not to the producers in foreign countries that nevertheless are allowed to import beef here. It seems to me that the uh, that the U.S. government and, and the regulations that they put on to especially independent cattle ranchers really do kind of hobble them in the marketplace when it comes to competing against uh, foreign sources for beef. Well, absolutely. Uh, the United States has the highest um, health and safety standards, not just for the beef product itself, but also for the production of the beef. And again, this is a long biological cycle associated with the beef industry. That means that for approximately two years, the United States cattle are subject to very stringent production protocols in the United States. We don't know the protocols in these foreign countries, uh, and yet we're continue to import that beef into the United States. And there's no mandatory country of origin labeling anymore because in its infinite wisdom, Congress repealed the law in 2015. So consumers can't tell where their beef comes from. And in fact, like we talked about earlier, they're being deceived because they see a product of the USA label on a, on a meat product. And it's as likely as not that that is a foreign product and not produced by the American farmer and rancher. So even if consumers today wanted to support their neighboring American cattle farmer or rancher, they can't do it with their purchasing decisions because they are denied the opportunity to choose from among the various countries that we import beef or to choose to support the economy, the domestic supply chain, by purchasing from the American rancher. We're talking to Bill Bullard. He's the CEO of Ranchers and Cattlemen's Action Legal Fund in the United Stock Growers of America. Uh, that's RCAF. You can reach his organization through usabeef.org. Am I, I'm correct on that, right, Bill? Uh, yes, our website is r-c-a-l-f-usa.com. Be sure to check that out. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Know that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ, the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. 
www.mamasteatheatre.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. The American independent cattle rancher is under attack from all sides, with thousands exiting the industry, and not because it isn't a thriving industry, but because special interests, the big beef processing companies, and the U.S. government are stacking the deck against them. I continue my conversation with Bull Bullard, the CEO of the Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund and the United Stock Growers of America. Bill, there's a lot of talk when you, you know when you listen to the news, and uh, we get yeah, I mean, we just get thumped on in the news about everything. That's uh, this dichotomy between the radical left and environmentalism, and people who are trying to trying to hold on to the freedoms that were guaranteed in our in our founding documents. Uh, the green movement, the the environmental movement, uh, in conjunction with the people who are pushing the Great Reset. I see an evil cabal there, but that's just me. Um, they're not the friends of the cattle ranchers at all. The green movement, especially the green energy movement, has cattle ranchers in their crosshairs. And when you listen to people like uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, they want to lay the blame for a giant chunk of global warming on cattle methane production. Do you find that to be as bizarre a thought as I do? We certainly do. Um, so you've got, you know, one of the one of the o- oldest professions uh, in in the world, and that is cattle raising, raising livestock for food. And now they're claiming that uh, that that uh, endeavor is destroying the earth. I mean, it is bizarre. Uh, it is unsubstantiated. Um, it probably brings. Um, the opportunity for these groups to do what they really want to do, and that is to end uh, animal agriculture in many instances, uh, and and try to put uh, the cattle industry in the crosshairs. When in fact, um, the cattle industry is uh, is an industry that is not just uh, environmentally friendly; it's one that improves the environment. Uh, it consumes grass that can't be used for literally any other purpose and converts that to high quality and and, uh, wholesome and tasty uh, protein. Um, And then it returns manure back to the the grasslands, to the soil and regenerates the soil. And it prevents the tremendous uh, wildfires that we've seen in our forests where cattle have been removed because no longer is there sufficient grazing. And as a result, you see a brush building up, which is tender, fire tender. And these forest fires are burning hotter than they've done in the past, and and prairie fires would occur the same way. So what the cattle industry is doing is really replicating uh, what was done uh, in a purely natural environment with the buffalo, where there were literally tens of millions of buffalo that roamed the prairies and grazed the grass uh, and allowed for this uh, regenerative uh, process to occur, which is entirely natural. So um, I I don't know how I... How else to describe it other than this is a bizarre attack on one of the industries that bears the greatest potential to help improve the environment, and it's been doing so for centuries. So when they when they come out and say that the cattle industry, the independent cattle ranchers, the people who are who are raising and running cattle like like they have throughout the entire American history and before, uh, 
When they say that this industry is detrimental to the environment, they are absolutely polar opposite wrong. Exactly. I mean, this this just goes to show you what a false narrative thumped enough can make people believe. It it, it stuns me to no end. You've also got this movement, and it's it's the useful idiots of of the uninformed uh, left. I'm going to say, and and I'm not picking on them. I'm, it's just that more of them exist there. It's just the way it is. In conjunction with people who are trying to control every aspect of your life, and these are the same people that are the globalists out there that are trying to tear down sovereignty barriers and, and, and elevate organizations into uh, organizations of global control. Um, these are the same people that are pushing synthetic meat and i gotta be honest with you when i sit down to dinner i i'm i I grew up on the commercial beef it's what's for dinner and i believe it i like it it makes me happy um i can't imagine cutting into a piece of synthetic meat and going wow this is the best tasting beef i've ever tasted in my life It, it it doesn't pass the smell test with me where are they coming off trying to equate synthetic beef Why do they want to replace it? What's the benefit of it if running cattle and raising cattle is good for the environment? How is this better for anything at all? Well, um, if you look at the arguments for blaming the cattle industry for destroying the earth, uh, they're somewhat uh, hypocrites because it takes far more energy to produce this synthetic product than it ever would to produce it naturally uh, the, the way God intended. Uh, with cattle. And so what is very interesting here is that these four big uh, multinational packers that literally dominate our industry, uh, at least two of them, if not three, are directly involved in investing in this synthetic fake beef. Hmm. And so what's really interesting there is um, they've locked up the market. They're the gatekeepers to the marketplace for America's farmers and ranchers. Uh, And now they're developing this alternative product so that they can compete directly with and against uh, the American farmer and rancher. So the American farmer rancher is now relegated to having to rely on these big four packers for a marketplace. And at the same time, the big four packers are exploiting their positions, their dominant positions in the marketplace by trying to find some other alternative protein source to compete and to lower, further lower the prices that U.S. uh, uh, cattle farmers and ranchers are receiving. So we view this as as a huge problem. It's a conflict of interest for these multinational meat packers that are the are the lifeline for cattle producers right now because that's who's dominating the marketplace. Uh, and, and, you know, the solution there is um, we, we've got to begin enforcing our antitrust laws, Sherman Act, Clayton I, Act. And the I, was just gonna ask, I was just going to ask that. If, if these four people have – these four corporations have such a stranglehold on, on the industry, why can't we go ahead with antitrust legislation against them? Well, it's a matter of lacking the will. Uh, we've gone for decades, and the statutes have, have been on the books uh, for over 100 years, and yet uh, the administrations and Congress has just refused to enforce them. Um, they had this um, stupid notion that uh, the marketplace would correct itself, and what they completely missed in that process is unless there are 
referees in the marketplace, unless there are regulators that force compliance with the congressionally passed uh, antitrust laws, then you have um, a dysfunctional marketplace. And that's what they've created. They've created it by their lack of enforcement of the laws already on the books. And now we've reached such an acute uh, situation in terms of risking our national food security. Uh, now we're going to have to bend the metal a bit further in order to get it level again, meaning we're going to have to take some aggressive antitrust uh, actions. And in fact, our organization has done that. Uh, beginning in April of 2019, we filed a historic antitrust class action lawsuit against those big four packers. And in our lawsuit, we allege that they have colluded to manipulate prices uh, paid to the U.S. cattle uh, producers. And so that case is pending now in a Minnesota federal district court. And we are hopeful that we can help address it because, uh, frankly, both Congress and the administration have demonstrated for decades a disinterest in the proper enforcement of competition or excuse me, antitrust laws and laws to ensure fair competition. And they've essentially uh, allowed the, the sharks to, to eat all the fish and, and we're losing cattle producers at an alarming rate as a result. And you add to this the the multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar effort that the, the beef processing lobbyists have on K Street and you've got a formidable foe. Right. And very importantly, they are following a an economic model that they have already protect or perfected in two industries. They did what you call vertical integration in the poultry industry and in where the integrator, the meat packer, actually controls the entire uh, live poultry supply chain from egg to plate. They did that back in the uh, 60s and 70s. They then moved into the hog industry, the pork industry. And uh, for example, uh, 40 years ago, we had 668,000 independent hog producers scattered all across the United States, you know, providing local bacon. Um, and 40 years later, we wiped out 90% uh, of them. Now we have 68,000 hog producers left. Uh, that's the process of vertical integration. So the meat packers and the hog industry now uh, virtually control uh, that industry from the time that the piglet hits the ground uh, until the, you buy your bacon in the, in the grocery store. So the cattle industry, the largest segment of American agriculture, is now the last frontier for these multinational meat packers that want to apply the model of vertical integration to the cattle industry in order to likewise control it from birth to plate, uh, as they've already done in these two. And so our organization uh, is dedicated to prevent that from happening because what we know is vertical integration uh, simply kills competition. It substitutes competition with a command control regime from the top down. It eliminates freedoms and liberties of independent livestock producers. It wipes them out. It dismantles the uh, competitive infrastructure necessary to sustain a competitive industry. It causes rural communities to hollow out. Um, it, it is an absolute um, um, destruction of the family farm and ranch system that has served this country so well. 
it reminds me as as you were talking about the all encompassing reach it reminded me of of the, the Pullman train car uh, company in Chicago back in the in the early 1900s where they even had company stores everything was controlled by that company and the government came in and ended that so i mean there is precedent for for being able to dismantle this kind of monopoly and it, that's exactly what it appears that the way that it's, you're described it to me these the industry is being monopolized and no one no one gets to play outside the box right and importantly you know we have been facing this dysfunctional marketplace for going on 7 years and neither Congress nor the administration has uh, taken any meaningful steps to correct it, correct it yet. And so what is really lacking here is the will and the courage uh, to do what needs to be done to, um, to preserve uh, a marketplace for independent American cattle producers and preserve a safe and affordable and a reliable food supply chain for America's consumers. And the only way we're going to fix this is that the American consumer stands up and says, you know, enough's enough. I'm going to get involved and ensure the food security uh, for myself and my family and my community. And we're going to get Congress to change this because Congress is not listening to us. They continue to listen to uh, the very powerful meatpacking lobby that we call both the uh, representatives of the meatpackers themselves and organizations that the meatpackers have uh, begun to control in order to uh, expand the scope of influence that they have in Washington, D.C. Um, I want to get into what people can do in their everyday lives um, in a second. What am I in, in all of this, in this in this very it to me, it's a it's a it's a simple issue. The, the, the independent cattle farmers getting screwed. Um, yes. What am I missing? What, what, what is, am, am I missing anything here in, in understanding this issue? Only that you should also have included the consumers, both the independent cattle producers and consumers are, are being taken advantage of in a, ter- in a terrible way. So besides saber rattling with our elected representatives, which I strongly urge everybody to do. And over on undergroundusa.com, there's a link right at the bottom where you can click it, and it brings you right to how to contact your elected official figure out who, to figure out who they are. It makes it very, very simple. Uh, what can people do in their everyday lives to help the independent cattle producers survive? Well, um, they have to influence the people who have the ability to influence the marketplace. And that means your your, um, members of Congress. Uh, They need to call their members of Congress. And as you said earlier, all politics is local. They should call their state elected officials as well and say, we want you to call our uh, national representatives in Washington, D.C. to strengthen the voice that that they just made. So we recommend uh, that everyone call both of their senators and their representative and not ask them what they're going to do about it. Instead, say, when are you going to pass a a mandatory country of origin labeling law so that I know uh, from what country uh, the meat that I'm purchasing for my family uh, originated? So consumers deserve to know where that beef comes from and they deserve to be able to help the American cattle rancher uh, by purchasing the exclusively USA product. 
And so that's where the consumers can help us a lot. And the other is uh, the consumers should complain about the uh, concentration in the industry that led to empty grocery store shelves back in 2020. That risk is is with us today. We have not yet made any meaningful adjustments or modifications to a system that we now know is a failure. Is there any way that people... Uh, just uh, people down the street from me, people in my neighborhood. Uh, is there any way that they can purchase beef products that will immediately help uh, ranchers locally? Well, if um, in fact, uh, during the pandemic, we set up that uh, USABeef.org website to try to connect consumers to uh, cattle producers who could provide them uh, with beef. They could sell directly to the consumer. And we literally have hundreds of uh, cattle producers all across the United States that signed up on that on that free website. Um, and so what that's what they could do uh, if they can go to the local butcher uh, and ask, you know, where is this beef from? They should go to their grocery store when they're ready to buy beef and, and ask, you know, was this beef uh, born and raised in the United States? They should demand of their grocer uh, to know where that beef is from. And so that is a way that they can help. And they can, in in fact, um, go to a a local grocery store uh, that might source their beef from among the ranchers in the community. But obviously, there's people that can't do that because they're not in close proximity uh, to the areas where cattle are raised and beef beef is processed. And so for those, uh, we need their help because Congress is going to have to help them. Uh, If they want to buy beef that is exclusively born, raised, and harvested in the United States, the only way that's going to happen is if Congress passes a law to require it. And and we had that law in place for about two years and seven months, from May of 2013 to December of 2015. But the meatpacking lobby and the foreign countries put so much pressure on Congress that they capitulated and they repealed a mandatory country of origin labeling for beef and for pork. That's incredible. Bill, tell everybody how they can find your organizations, uh, the URLs, and, uh, and, and why they should go there to learn what you're doing. Right. So the first thing they should do is type in demandusabeef.com. And we have a petition uh, urging Congress and the president to pass country of origin labeling. And there's about 428,000 signatures on that already. And then they can go to our website at r-c-a-l-f-u-s-a.com. And that is our website. And we also have a Facebook page. Um, And you mentioned the, or I mentioned also the USA, uh, usabeef.org. And that's uh, the the platform where consumers can find a, a producer in their state or locality and purchase beef directly from the producer, um, usabeef.org, if I said that correctly. And uh, I I think that's it, Frank. (laughs) We've been talking with Bill Bullard, uh, the CEO of uh, the Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund and uh, the United Stock Growers of America, that's RCAF USA, uh, the nation's largest cattle trade organization that exclusively represents independent cattle producers. Uh, This is a legacy that goes back to the founding of our country and the entire flavor of the American West. Please go to these websites, sign the petition, get involved with your elected officials to demand that they accurately label 
the sourcing of the beef. Uh, Bill, please, when when you have movement on that lawsuit, please uh, ping me and we'll have you back on again so you can update everybody. Sounds great. Thank you very much. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. I'll be right back after this. This portion of Underground USA is brought to you by Delvecchio Defense Instruction, DDI. Hit your bullseye with DDI. DDI offers NRA certified instruction in basic pistol safety, NRA pistol marksmanship simulator training, women on target, and their non-lethal refuse-to-be-a-victim program. You can also engage in DDI's non-lethal defense training, where they have warrior workshops, empower hour, safe showings workshops, safe hearts workshops, and damsel sister safety. To find out more, log on to bullseyeddi.com. That's bullseyeddi.com. Or email Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, at bullseyeddi.com. As we observe Independence Day and the long weekend, As we await the evening's fireworks celebrations, enjoying the company of family and friends at backyard barbecues across America. Hamburgers and hot dogs, ribs and steaks on the grill. Take a moment to think about the people who made those dishes possible for you and how their hard work, and a piece of our American heritage, is under siege. Contact your senators and congressmen and your state elected officials so they can apply pressure on their federal counterparts and ask them when will they make the U.S. independent cattle rancher a priority. And please remember to be courteous with your fireworks celebrations. Some who have served in the military in your community, as well as some pets, can be adversely affected by an overabundance of fireworks. Please check out everything we do at undergroundusa.com Sign up for the mail-out so we have a direct line to you. And please, have a safe and thoughtful and a reflective Independence Day. You're listening to Underground USA. I'm Frank Salvato. We'll be right back after this. Beef. It's what's for dinner. 